Welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast, powered by Kevin Grogan Soccer, Soccer Coffee and much more. Welcome to the show this week. We're delighted to have Sean Kenny with us later on. Sean is a really, really interesting guy. It's a great interview. He talks about his time in America as a player in college, um, coaching in America at academy level, coaching at college level. Also talks about the development of Irish soccer and his very well-known Irish soccer family who are involved in many different aspects of the game, from one of them being a professional player, formerly with Liverpool, another one coaching at the highest level in Ireland, another one a referee. It's a really, really interesting interview. That'll come shortly. Um, before we get into that, you know, talk about some crazy things happening, particularly in Ireland. Um, issues with the chief executive, John Delaney, and in protest, our fans threw tennis balls onto the field, which was <laughs> comical to say the least. Um, mixed opinions on whether they should have done that or not. But, you know, the rumour is that over the years, a lot of um, flags and banners have been taken off the fans because they didn't want them protesting against the association or John Delaney, which is probably unfair because I think in this day and age, you should be allowed to voice your opinion as long as you do it in a calm and respectful and professional way. So if they're taking the, the banners away, maybe their way of doing it now is by throwing tennis balls on. I mean, no one was hurt and we did go on and score a great goal afterwards. So it didn't really affect the game. But just really interesting to kind of look at the dynamics of associations and chief, chief executives and their conduct and transparency, not just in Ireland, but in all different countries around the world. So it's been an interesting week regarding that in Irish soccer. Um, after this advert, we'll get straight into the interview with Sean Kenny. Our advert is, of course, about our new sponsor that we're excited about, Rezzle.com. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com Sean, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Kevin. I'm all good. Thank you very much. So, Sean, why don't you start by telling our listeners where you grew up in Ireland and kind of your first experience and memories of football? Um, I guess my first experience, I grew up what they call the Navan Road, which is Ashtown, basically. My mother tells everybody we're from Castleknock, which is a little snobby area in Dublin, but we're <laughs> not. And uh, mostly uh, it was a Gaelic football area, but my father was a soccer player and kind of encouraged us to play soccer and I had a load of brothers that all played, so that was kind of uh, that was my first start. And I was playing soccer before we could do anything else. People played back then out on the road a little bit, so um, I don't think that's happening anymore too much. Now you have a very um, kind of famous family back home in terms of soccer. You've you've a brother that played for Liverpool, and another brother that's a top top manager in the professional league, and I believe another brother was a a very good referee. And you're a top coach. How, how did that kind of come about? Was that just kind of growing up, having a passion, aim, and, and and playing it, and and then just having that natural ability in yeah, whatever kind of field? I, yeah, I'm sure it was all kind of natural ability. Um, but, uh, you know, we just got, there wasn't much else to play. You had a choice between playing soccer or playing Gaelic football. And 
we all flirted with Gaelic football a little bit, but soccer was our love and we all kind of supported each other. Uh, you know, and I'm lucky that I had brothers that all played at a fairly high level. And then just from your own point of view, growing up, um, you know, what was your first schoolboy club that you played for, your first travel club? Um, I, I stayed in the area for a long time. I, I kind of stayed loyal, which was a little bit stupid of me. But I ended up playing for Stella Maris. And from Stella Maris, I got a chance to go to Shamrock Rovers. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the three Kennys that played at Rovers. Nobody knows that I played because I, I was stuck in the reserves for a year. And then Johnny Giles came into the club and kind of turned the club around, tried to make it full-time professional. And I was told I wasn't good enough. And hence, I'm in America. <laughs> that's, that's... <laughs> so, I mean, just for our listeners, obviously, Stella Morris, one of the top, top, you know, travel clubs in Ireland and produced a lot of players. And then Shamrock Rovers is a massive, massive organization and a fantastic history. So just to be in the kind of mix there and Shamrock Rovers obviously shows you had talent. Um, now your brother, Mark, he, he was particularly talented. I actually played against him in League of Ireland a few times. He had a serious talent and, and went on to Liverpool. How was that as a family to kind of watch your brother go to that level? Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I mean, um, Harry w was a very, very good player as well. Harry spent a long time at Shamrock Rovers in the League of Ireland. He's probably a legend at Shamrock Rovers. But Mark was probably the most talented and went away to Liverpool. Signed professionally when he was only 16. He was probably a, a little young to go away. But what a fantastic experience for a young player. to At the time, Liverpool were the Barcelona of the world. You know, they had... Uh, they were playing in the Champions League year in, year out. So it, it was a great opportunity for Mark. Um, I just wish he had of. Uh, it's very hard to tell a 16-year-old to knuckle down and, and be the pro that you could be. Yeah, and it's a big, so, it's a big kind of discussion back home now about whether players should go that day where they're, they're more physically and mentally ready. Do you feel that's a better I, pathway? I would agree with that, of course. It, it's... You know, to, to let a 16-year-old guy loose on the world with no supervision and nobody telling you this is what you, you're supposed to go to school, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to go to the gym. Nobody's telling you that. You're just going to training and then you're on your own. And uh, I think that's very, very difficult for a kid. Uh, I would encourage them to stay home or certainly for the club to get more involved with them socially and education and all the other stuff that surrounds the game. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you, you came to America, I believe, was a keen state you played and you were All-American there? Yeah, well, if you saw soccer in New Hampshire, you'd realise how easy it is to be All-American. <laughs> <laughs> I love your honesty. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I had a great time. I had a great time. It was as professional as I could possibly get. I mean, we're, we're training every day. We had great facilities. We had a great team. Um, the guys were great and I had a great experience all the while I'm going to school and getting an education. So I can't say enough good things about Keene State. Um, it, was, it, it was great for me and I think it developed my game, the fact that I was training nearly every day. Yeah, and great facilities, I presume, and an opportunity to meet some new people in a new culture. Is there, you made many friends there that you've kind of kept in touch with? Actually, uh, yeah, my team just got invited Um we, we had a great year one year. I was a junior on the team and, and we just got invited into the Keene State Hall of Fame. So all those guys are getting back together and we're all heading up to New Hampshire in September for the event. So that should be a wow. good time. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, I, I always tell kids over here that it's not just about the football. It's about kind of interacting with people and making friends and contacts. Is that something kind of you? I know you're heavily involved in the youth side now. Of is course it is. You, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, even going to games, we I have a friend of mine always said, it's not just the 90 minutes. It's everything surrounding it. It's the excitement of going there. It's the it's the afterwards talking about the game. It's it's uh, you know being with your friends and whatever it is, whether it's in the pub, whether it's going to the game live. It's it's the game is just a part of the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. Now you obviously went on then, uh, Sean, after kind of playing in college, and, and you got into the kind of college coaching end of things. You were with uh, Dave Mazer in St. John's and in Concordia. Let's start with St. John's because that has a massive reputation of being a serious program. What was that experience like? Well, Kevin, for, firstly, I, was, I went to Concordia. I, I was a young guy. I was probably like 27, 28. I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I wanted to give back to the game a little bit. I got madly involved in the coaching. I started doing my licenses here. And Concordia were lucky enough to give me a chance. And, and we did okay. We did okay. And then uh, I spent seven, eight years at Concordia. And then I was always friendly with Dave Mazer at St. John's. We both had played together and played against each other. And he invited me over. Now, at the time, St. John's were not the St. John's they are today. It was basically Dave Mazer doing everything. He was the full-time guy. We were, I was like a part-time assistant. He did everything from getting buses for the game to making sure the field was lined or the nets up uh, and all that, and all the recruiting. But we ended up having a very, very good team. And he's a, he's a master recruiter and a great coach. Uh, you know, I can't take the credit for the success that we had. And we ended up winning a national championship, which was unbelievable. It was fantastic. Now, a big part of kind of the college aspect of coaching would, would be recruitment. Um, is, is that something you It's all get recruiting, out? Kevin. It's yeah. all recruiting. People think, uh, you know, you got to be this great coach to go coach. But no, you got to be a good recruiter and you got to understand kids and you got to, you know, have the ability to not only keep them in school and keep them happy, but, you know, develop them as soccer players as well. So it's a, it's a lot of responsibility for a, for a, a college coach. So in terms of the recruitment then, would that be a case of, you know, getting to a lot of the showcases, you know, using your contacts and having that kind of knack of identifying talent? It's everything. It's everything. It's going to get, it's being in the know a little bit. And, you know, because of the licensing that I brought, I came up through the USSF. I did my D, C, B, A. And along the way, you, you meet a lot of people in the coaching world and you're sort of able to reach out all over the country when it comes to players. Um, and once you're in the know in, in, in the youth game as well, which I was because I spent many years at FC Westchester, a top premier youth club, we were able to be in the know as to where good players would be. And then it was a matter of convincing them then to come to St. John's, which we did a good job at that as well. And then once you get them in the system, obviously the development on the field you have to do. But then, as you said, there's a big responsibility to look after and nurture the person. Was that something you enjoyed doing? Oh, yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, we like you because you're a good soccer player. It's more than that. It's your character, which we, we always kind of look at. It's, it's how you do in school. It's, it's how important school is. Some guys want to come and just kind of play soccer and hang out and chase girls and drink at parties or whatever. But it's far more than that. We need uh, a more complete kind of person. 
we need you to be involved in your education and we need you to do the best that you can on the soccer field. Yeah, and then you, you talked a bit about uh, FC Westchester. That, that is a massive, massive club. And I know you're an integral part of that. Was that it, it sounds like you know, when you first went in there, it was kind of a building process and you eventually got that academy status. It, yeah, yeah. Well, you have to understand back in the day, and we're talking, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there wasn't too much premier youth soccer. You know, now you have, there's all kinds of leagues, the Super Y League, the Premier League, the, you know, they, they put all these names on them to make all their leagues look very, very good. But at that time, there wasn't much Premier League soccer. It was very, very parochial or local. You just had the Westchester League or you had the Long Island League or you had the North Jersey League or, or whatever you had. But you know, people had the foresight to see, no, no, the better teams in these leagues need to play against each other. And that's kind of how Premier League soccer came to be. And FC Westchester was at the very beginning of all that. And I was lucky enough, I spent oh, 25 years there. So I was lucky to be involved right on the cusp of things. And then when the academy came along, it just elevated soccer to another level. And F FC Westchester had the experience and had nurtured talent throughout the years and, and deserved to be one of the clubs to, you know, to be in the academy. And that's where they are today. And have you, you've see, obviously seen, you know, from the beginning, the standard grow and participation grow. Where, where do you think American soccer is at now in, in youth soccer in terms of the standard? Is it better than ever? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's taken a beating only because, and it's, it's like our Ireland team, the, the country suffers because the national team is suffering and because the U.S. haven't qualified for the last World Cup, U.S. soccer has taken a little beating. But if you look at where players are and where the younger players are and how well are, you know, the U18 or U17 national team do, they're right there with the best of them. And if you look at the current crop of new players coming through the national team, you know, fellows are playing regularly in Germany or there's, there's guys in Spain, there's guys in France, there's guys in England. It's not, you know, plucking college kids to come represent the national team anymore. Those days are gone. So, yeah, I, I think the future is very, very bright for soccer in this country. And then from a coaching point of view, and I've seen it myself, you know, I've been here 10 years, but the, the level of coaching has got much higher in, in kind of all aspects. Have you seen more and more kind of Americans get involved in kind of coaching licenses and develop? Absolutely. It's all better, Kevin. It's all better. You know, we, we've taken parts from coaches all over the world, whether it be Germany, Holland, England, Brazil. It, it doesn't matter. And that's the beauty of America, that all those pieces that we've taken, we were able to develop our coaching education the the fields are better the players are better they're they're more in tune everything is better now and uh, i think you know slowly slowly you will see the benefits of the academy system the coaching the all all that sort of thing come together and then one kind of interesting thing i find is kind of the whole youth soccer parent dynamic and you've probably have been involved in that for many many years dealing with parents where are we at with that like there has like i think a lot of people are doing parent education which is good are the parents more in the know now about what the game is and more relaxed and you know sometimes they can get a bit aggressive on the sidelines what, what's your kind of stance on that parents are the biggest evil in youth soccer <laughs> love the honesty that's what we got you on. <laughs> they um 
it's hard. It, the the pay to play thing is hard because um, most clubs can't survive without parents paying. So if a parent is paying, and it's like you know, if he's paying for private lessons at a piano, or he's paying for private tennis lessons, or he's going to private school, parents feel because I'm paying, I have a right to say something, and most parents feel that they have that right, and are you know. Most of the time, it's them looking out for their kid. But most of the time, they're doing it in a harmful way, whether it's shouting on the sidelines, coaching on the sidelines, the drive home, which parents will get into it with the kids. Uh, it's a tough one. It's very, very hard. But that's parents. That's, that's something in the coaching world you have to put up with. I'm a parent, so I've been there. You know, I've listened to my wife say, you got to go talk to that coach. He doesn't have a clue, you know. And uh, so it... it that's a hard one, but it's a, unfortunately it's a necessary evil in the world of youth soccer. And is it something then we just kind of have to keep trying to educate them as we go? And yeah, just... yeah, I, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think you're seeing now you're seeing a new generation of soccer players that basically have parents that have been soccer players, whether their father played or their mother played or both parents played. So there's a, little, uh, there's a little more education in the game where before that father played American baseball or he played basketball or he played a different sport. But now they're, they're kind of, uh, there's a generation of you know, kids whose parents have played before, which benefits both the kid, the club, the coach, everybody. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, now, just switching over to kind of the Ireland situation, um, and I know our American listeners enjoy when we talk about kind of the setup over there and there was a few tennis balls thrown on the pitch the other day. In, 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 I don't know if you had a tennis racket, but in protest of our chief, of our chief executive. Um, it's a bit of a mess in that regard. But on the field, uh, two wins for, for Mick McCarthy's two first games? Two wins. And thank God, I know they, they struggled against Gibraltar, but three points is three points. And to get two wins in a row, it sets up, you know, it, it's that good field factor again. And now all of a sudden we're starting to, to believe, and I'm sure you know as a player, and as a coach, those players needed confidence somewhere along the line. And nothing gives a player more confidence than a win. And now they can sit back for the, when is the next game in June or whatever. Yeah. So you're sitting back for a couple of months feeling confident and looking forward to the next game. So, yeah, I'm delighted we won. I really am. There seemed to be, you know, just watching on TV, there seemed to be a good buzz around kind of the stadium and it's kind of fresh start. You get that sense? Great atmosphere. Great atmosphere. And I, I think McCarthy kind of brings that. You know, he's bubbly. He's honest. He's uh, enthusiastic. And it was certainly a big change, but a change that needed to happen. And he's got the players believing and playing a different brand of soccer. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's, that's, that was more, more important. It wasn't so much the losses. It was how we lost and the dour soccer of defending and just lack of passing and keeping the ball. And he's given our players a little confidence now to go out and, you know, maybe we can play. And we proved it in the last two games, we can. Yeah, we've talked about it on the show before in terms of, you know, the whole Stephen Kenny, Mick McCarthy dynamic and Stephen doing well with the U21s and will become manager eventually. You know, some people were critical of that move from the FAI. Where do you stand on that in terms of Mick McCarthy just doing this campaign? Yeah, well, it's like the Solskjaer at, Man United, you're coming in for a little bit, but you've done so well. You know, if Mick does so well, it's very hard to tell him he's got to leave the job. I think that's 
that's going to be tough. But, you know, we have a couple of years for that to happen. But I think Stephen Kenny is a great move. He's a proven coach. He knows every single player in Ireland. And now being involved with the U21s, he can keep a handle on all our players, whether they're in England or whatever other country they're in. And he's also able to nurture those guys and get them ready for the, the senior scene in a couple of years' time. So, overall, it's the one good thing John Delaney did, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, Stephen Kenny, obviously, you know, has a big history in League of Ireland and he's picked a lot of players for the under 21. It's from a distance because we're obviously over here, but it feels like League of Ireland is absolutely buzzing at the moment and thriving. And yeah. um, in terms of all the media and the TV and the players, and I know your brother's a, you know, a top coach back there. Is that the sense you get that we're kind of on the cusp of something really big for our National League? Absolutely. I, I, and, and again, it, it, it all goes with the national team as well. You know, the national team's doing well, the country's feeling good. And then all of a sudden, maybe more people will take a look at the League of Ireland. I know attendances have been up everywhere. Um, they're luring players back to the League of Ireland instead of like allowing them to go to England and kind of get lost. So um, the standard of the league has gotten very, very good. Most of the teams, I think, bar two of them are full-time. So it bodes well. It bodes well. But it still needs that injection It's still of money. It still needs, you know, better facilities. There's still work to be done. But it's definitely in a better place than it was even last year. So Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a great opportunity for young players to, to stay and play at that really high level, get in earlier, and then maybe later on get the move and then the club in Ireland can obviously get the transfer fee and, and reinvest that. I think that's a good model for the league. Would you agree on that? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we, we used to say that FC Westchester, you know, all we need is one kid to be a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi just to to prove that we're doing things right. But there are many, many success stories of League of Ireland players going to England at a, at a later age and, and being able to handle it. And that's all thanks to the coaching that's available, to the full-time, to the facilities, to, you know, there's a lot of factors go into it. But it's, uh, it's on the way, Kevin. It's, it's, it's getting there. It's getting yeah, there. Yeah, it's definitely, a, I can just sense it. You know, it's always been a fantastic league and, you know, but it, it was kind of a league where only the people who had been involved in it or, you know, new people in the league really understood what it was all about. But now it seems to be kind of getting to the general public of the level and the standard and the players they're producing, which is great to see. And I think that what they've done with their youth, youth system, I think they've taken a page out of the USA Academy and they've gone with their own academy and kind of forced clubs to, you know, start a U-17 team, a U-15 team, and now they're down to, I think, U-13. So as those players progress and buy into being a St. Patrick athletic player or a Shamrock Rovers player, they're starting at that 12, 13 years of age. And their goal then is uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, of course I want to play for Manchester United, but no, I'm really aiming for that Shamrock Rovers first team. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And then they can go Absolutely. and watch their heroes every week. 
Yeah, no, it's a great point. The other thing is, um, I don't know if you followed it, but the kind of training compensation angle where for American listeners, if you grow up in Ireland playing for a youth club and you end up going to a professional club, that, that youth club will get training compensation that they can reinvest into the club, whether it's kits, whether it's fields, yeah. or whatever it might be. In America, there has been some talk about that and some lawsuits where that doesn't exist. Do you think if a, a youth travel club got compensated if they produced players that there'd be less of this kind of win-at-all-cost mentality and we'd focus more on the production of players? Absolutely. That won't happen until you can get rid of the pay-to-play. I mean, a kid, for a kid to play at the Premier Youth level, he's probably paying out $3,000, $5,000 he could be paying yeah. just to be on a, on, a, on a decent youth travel team. And that's sort of the angle, I think, where they're coming from in America. Well, if you're paying... To play, how can how can me as a professional club have to give you money when you've sort of bought into a contract that you're paying? Now, if the club invested all the money into the kid and said, "Look, you don't have to pay us here. We're gonna we're gonna take care of everything. We're gonna pay for you to come training, and we'll pay for the coaches, and we'll do this." Then I think the the club has a has some value to wanting compensation. But until until we get rid of the pay to play model, I don't I can't foresee that happening. And then just in terms of the pay to play, do you feel that kids are missing out on playing? Like kids from maybe less affluent areas who can't afford it? Like are there kids? Of course out there they that are. Just, yeah. Of course they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know the transportation thing is tough as well. You know there are kids from, you know, one parent homes or the both parents are working. It's hard to get the kid to training. It's. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the advantage of Ireland and England that the clubs are in the community. I don't know if the clubs here are so ingrained in the community that we can have, you know, a very, very good town team that's able to take all the top talent in the town. Any top team has to go outside of their immediate area. I mean, at FC Westchester, we have kids coming in from Albany. Some of them are taking two hours, three hours just to drive down. I mean, that's a huge ask for a kid that may not have, you know, the funds to do that. So I, I don't know. I, I, that's a tough one. That's a very tough one. Yeah, I remember talking to you many years ago and you were telling me about kind of, we we're talking about your success over here and you were saying the recruitment aspect, but also kind of being willing to, as a coach, get in a car and pick a kid up and make it happen and make sure the kid gets there. And that's a real kind of Irish thing, you know, just kind of going wherever it takes to find that kid and getting them to training and games every week. Is that something that is missing over here in general? Do, do you know, do we... No, I, I, we, we've all done that and we've all had people, you know, I've had, guys that did it for me i had there was nine of us in our family i'm sure my father how could he take nine of us to practice every night so there were always guys available and willing to do that and i, I still think that's around it's just it's not so local the the guy i'm picking yeah. up is not down the road from me the guy i'm picking up might be a half hour away from me so it's it's a big ask for me to go and get him and then drop him home um, I think that's a that's a part of the problem. But uh, no, there's plenty of there's plenty of good guys in the game that uh, certainly help help each other and help the team by going to get these players to training. And I'm sure you know, as a coach, a lot of it falls down on the coach as well. Every night after training, a coach is piling three or four kids into his car and dropping them off. Yeah. 
And, and then the other thing, just as, particularly for our listeners at home, because they don't realise, and I know you've been involved in the kind of Cosmopolitan Soccer League. Um, you were with Lansdowne for a while, one of the, the best amateur clubs in America. And um, talk to me about the standard of that league, because I think people probably don't realise how high a standard it is. And there's former professionals, there's young players who end up going professional. Um, what's your opinion on that league and kind of where it's at? I love that league. I love that league. You know, my I got involved with the Lansdowne. I, I sort of retired from the game Hopefully I gave up the college thing. I gave up the FC Westchester, but I'm back now as director of coaching at the Westchester Flames, which is a, a much smaller club. And my son was playing for the Lansdowne. He, he was, you know, on the reserve team and I, I, I was helping out with the reserves. So I got to watch the first team up close and I was even shocked by the level. The standard is really, really good. Um, it's probably, you know, they steal all the best players in the area, whether it's from the top college teams, whether it's from, you know, the, and uh, it's definitely, um, I, I just wish that league had better facilities. Yeah, but I was then just about again, to say like, that, yeah. yeah, that's that's the only drawback. If you had a nicer facility, you had locker rooms, because everything else is in play. The product is really, really good. Um, the games are really good. All the teams play to a high standard. The coaching is good. The tr- everything about it is good. The only fall down, and I'm sure you could say the same about the League of Ireland, is the facilities. So an injection of money somewhere along the line. But uh, I asked, I once asked a League of Ireland player, what would he do if he got you know, $10 million? Would he go out and try and build a stadium or training facilities? He said, no, I'd spend every penny on players <laughs> just so we could win. So that's, I think that's the mentality of most cosmopolitan league teams as well. Yeah, well, as you know, with the, the New York Shamrocks, and it's the same, you know, you'd recruit a player, maybe maybe just come off, come over from Ireland and, you know, explain about how good the league is and the players. And then they kind of show up to the first game and there's no changing room or shower, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, yeah. A, it is a massive drawback. But the standard of it is, you know, there's definitely players in the league, I feel, that may be good enough to play in the League of Ireland or or play at a higher level over here. And and, and I think it's it's, re, it's a real interesting league. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure, like, I mean, you've had a couple of lads, right, go overseas and prove that they can play at another yeah. level. The, the Lansdowne have a couple of boys now in the League of Ireland. So, no, they've definitely proven themselves. Um, so... I would, I would, uh, anyone that wants to see good soccer in the New York area for free, for free, uh, should uh, take a look at a Cosmopolitan League game. Maybe we should start charging in so we can build a shower. There you go. There you go. You you make a, uh, Dave Mazer at St. John's used to say, tell her, you know, we'd have 50 people at the game and he'd say, tell everybody it's sold out. And that way, next week, they'll want to come, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. can I get to the game? To the, no, you can't get in. It's sold out. <laughs> Classic uh, marketing and <laughs> PR. Exactly. So, what, one other thing I want to talk about, because, you know, a few people have mentioned this to me, but there are a lot of Irish-American youth players here in America and in this region. And, you know, there, there could be a great pathway for them to maybe go and play on the underage national teams. In relation to the standard, do you think there's players here that may have access to passports who are Irish American Absolutely. with Irish parents. Absolutely. And the, the, the prime example is uh, one of your Clarkstown boys, Tommy McNamara. Yeah. Tommy, you know, had Irish citizenship, um, played at a hugely high level, played in the MLS. 
And I think he was brought into our U21 squad. Noel King was the coach at the time. And they, I don't know, they never really followed through. But he went on to be a top, top player. So a kid like that, if you could get a kid, even one kid every year like that, it's definitely worth looking at. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of round up, Sean, um, you know, in terms of, you know, giving advice to the kind of the younger players, the youth players over here, because our, our bulk of our audience are kind of parents and youth players, you know, what would you say to that kind of 12-year-old that aspires to be a soccer player? Play, play. They, you know, I remember uh, my, my mother sending, sending me down to the butchers or to go get a bottle of milk or whatever from the store. And I'd say, Mom, can I bring the ball with me? And she'd go mad because I had to cross the street or God knows what I'd be doing. But it was always the ball was always around, you know. So that's I read an article on Pep Guardiola. He said, when you have young kids and you're in the house, you should put a ball in every room. So that when the kid, whatever room he walks into, he's juggling or he's messing around with a ball. I don't know if my wife would go for that. They'd <laughs> break something. But uh, it's true. You, you need you need to get players. And, and look. I don't profess to be this great coach, but I do hope the players that came my way, I've given them somewhat of a love of the game. And I think that's much more important than all the coaching and all the facilities, that if you can get players to enjoy the game and play outside of just playing, you know, when you have to go training or you have to go to a Saturday morning game. No, how about you just mess around in the backyard or you go down the, the local park and you just mess around down there. I think that's... That's what kids need to do, and that's what's missing in the youth game today here. Yeah, it's a great point. Sometimes the best advice is the simplest advice. Sean, it's been amazing having you on. I'd love to get you back on. You have an amazing story. Um, I know you've done amazing things over here over the years and, and a great soccer family, so really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure, Kevin. It's an honour. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. The Hairdryer Treatment Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rezzle. Rezzle is the market-leading, academically validated VR training and cognitive development tool for elite football and is already installed at world-leading clubs. Rezzle.com.